Right. Because what do I know about manufacturing overseas? That's just frightening, right? You, you don't speak the language. You don't know the customs. It's, it's daunting. Um, and in steps, I discover Alibaba.com. I had seen the website before. I thought, I think you had mentioned before, it's sort of like a Amazon for China. You know, that, that's the impression of it. And what I found out was it is that, but it's also much more than that. So Alibaba is a platform that allows manufacturers all over the world, China, India, uh, South America, North America. If you are an American manufacturer, you can register with Alibaba. And then that allows people like me, entrepreneurs, companies, it allows them to find you. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Lee Hayes. Middle age can be cruel to women. The aging process is not pretty. But Lee Hayes, a mom, entrepreneur, and woman of a certain age, wasn't about to let hormones get the best of her. Problems are simply an opportunity waiting to be solved. She researched the market and couldn't find the solution for hot flashes that was right for busy working women, so she invented her own, the Cool Me Scarf. Lee Hayes knew that she didn't know much about manufacturing, websites, or retail sales, so she researched, studied, and learned. One discovery which propelled her forward was leveraging the platform Alibaba.com, which allowed for rapid and safe solutions to manufacturing, business transactions, and logistics. She brought Kumi Scarf from concept to market and from market to the Oscars. I can't wait to hear that story. Within two years of concept, Kumi Scarf was selected as a gift for celebrities in the 2020 Oscars gift bag. While not inventing products or walking the red carpet, Lee is the owner of Go Leeward Speaker Management supporting a group of amazing business speakers and helping event managers create wildly successful events. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. This is very exciting. I, I love your podcast and I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, folks, listen, I, you know, I've known Lee uh, for a number of years, uh, really with her hat on as a, you know, as a speaker manager, working with uh, some of the professional speakers who, uh, you know, who are friends of mine and people I know. And, uh, and then suddenly I uh, see this amazing thing happen with this product she's created. I see, uh, you know, pictures of her, at, you know, uh, at the Oscars. And I just had to sort of bump her up the schedule here. And, and, and because of, uh, not only is this a great entrepreneurial story, but the product's amazing. So I really wanted to get her on the show uh, as quickly as possible. So, so Lee, before we get to all this great stuff that's going on for you now, or even, you know, or even what you do for speakers, I want to take you back. Uh, and when you were a little girl growing up, what did you want to be? Because I am. Uh, my guess is it might not have been a manager of speakers, and certainly I cannot imagine that you had any thought that you were going to create a product for menopausal women that ended up at the Oscars. Oh my goodness! I wish we had video. You'd see tears streaming from my eyes, laughing. Um, when I was in third grade, a group of college students came in and they polled the kids on what they wanted to be when they grow up. 
And most people said, you know, firefighter, ballerina. I said I wanted to be a jockey. And that is something that sticks out in my head because they laughed at me, right? This group, they just laughed. They had never heard a little kid say they want to be a jockey. And um, that did not happen. I, in fact, did not become a jockey because I'm uh, almost five foot nine. And so that didn't work out for me. But yeah, that, uh, that was my childhood dream. I love it. I love it. And what was your first real business, however you define that? Well, you know, I, I I did the corporate thing, right? Because that's what you do, and that's what I was was molded for. You know, my parents go to college, you go to and you get a a corporate job. That's what you do. But my entrepreneurial bug was always there. And my first, well, okay, as a kid, I would sell things, right? We'd go fishing on deep sea fishing, and we would catch all this fish. And where would I be at ten years old? I'd be on the street corner hawking fish to passerby. <laughs> so. I was always an entrepreneur, but my first, you know, legal licensed business was the Cheshire Carriage Company. I owned a carriage company for weddings, you know, horse and carriage. Uh, and where was this? Uh, uh, Cheshire, Connecticut. Okay. And uh, yeah, weddings. So I, you know, if you saw the horse and carriage in front of the church, that could have been me dressed up in a in a tuxedo and taking the bride away like Cinderella. I love it. I love it. All right. So, uh, and, and then, and then things evolved over time and then, uh, you know, and you still do, right. You work with speakers and you, you, you represent them and do deals to get them booked and, and that kind of stuff. Right. I still do. That is, that's really my number one love is working with business speakers. Um, I curate them very carefully. As you know, there are a lot of people out there who either are speakers or want to be speakers, but not all of them have unique content. Not all of them have the best stage presence. There are a lot of people who would like to, but then there are those who are really successful. There are those who have written the books from their own experience and research, who have had life experiences that are that are way beyond what other you know average people have had, and that also can share this from the stage in such a way that it's inspiring, but also educational. And that's really what my niche is, is finding, curating these individuals who just blow your mind with content that's going to turn your business around or content that might turn your life around. So that's that's where I live right now. And I love bringing those people to events, like I said, to make them just special, that they, they have great experiences with great people. So I love it. So just to, just to, cause I know the audience is dying to hear this story about the new product and the Oscars, <laughs> but just, just to tease it a little more, I'll ask you a question or two about deals in the speaking industry, and then we'll get over to the, uh, to the new exciting thing. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, speakers all the time are trying to figure out, you know, whether it's how to get booked or how much they should charge, even if they have an opportunity to get booked and, you know, all the aspects of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of a deal when you get hired to either be a keynote speaker or a workshop, you know, a breakout speaker or whatever. Um, any, uh, any just uh, tips and thoughts about uh, structuring those kind of, you know, deals and how, you know, and how you deal with uh, pricing and that kind of stuff for, for speakers who are looking to get booked? Absolutely. I get that question a lot. And I, sometimes I just spend time with speakers giving them the tips that I can. Um, for people who are getting started, it, you, first of all, you need a good story. And a good story is one that gives something to the audience. It can't be an about me story. A lot of speakers come and say, well, you know, I did this. And it can't be all about you. The audience has to get a takeaway from it. They have to be able to relate or somehow draw something out of it. 
So make sure the story is something that helps the audience. Um, never speak for free is my first piece of advice. And when I say that, what I mean is not necessarily cash, but never speak where there's no value. If you, if a, if a place contacts you and says, yeah, yeah, we, we just need a speaker. Would you come here and just do it? And you go, sure. You're devaluating your own, your, your content, yourself, your image. Um, there needs to be some sort of exchange. So even if they're not paying cash, when you're a new speaker, you're giving them value. You need to get value back. Maybe they're taking video. You can get a copy of video that's very valuable. Maybe you can get a good connection from them and make sure you get that before you speak. You know, if they promise, oh yeah, I know people who do events, say, great, I'd love an interview with them before your event. I'd love to talk to them so that you can make these solid connections. Sell books. Some people, you know, sell books from the back of the room. Wonderful. That gets your name out there. Uh, Maybe it's the quality of the audience. If you are a consultant, make sure you know who's in that audience. Maybe these are your customers, but look for value. Don't just give it away. Don't cheapen yourself. You're not a prostitute. You're a speaker. Uh, Well, you know what? Prostitutes get a good exchange. Maybe that is a good model. You always (laughs) need to get exchange. Love it. I love it. Okay, great. Uh, all right. So we may come back to, to that, but I want to, uh, you know, uh, I want to stop teasing everybody because the, uh, uh, although uh, what you do uh, in the speaking world is actually great and is interesting and there's a lot more lessons to be learned there. What is super exciting right now is that, uh, you know, so we've heard a little bit that you were somewhat of a national entrepreneur. So maybe it's not surprising that you've done something totally um, different. Tell us about this new product. Tell us about how it's gone from concept and, and what in 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 less than two years? Less uh, than two years from concept to to not only to market but uh, also uh, to the Oscars. <laughs> Tell us that story. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try. You, you said this is a three-hour podcast, right? Great. <laughs> um, so, well, again, it, it's a product that solves a problem. I'm a middle-aged woman. I confess, I'm no spring chicken. And I found that it's very real that women get hot flashes. In fact, there's a whole Broadway show about it, right? Menopause. It's a, it's a show about hot flashes. This is a serious issue. And hot flashes can be debilitating. It's, it's hard to understand for someone who hasn't experienced them. Um, I'm going to pick on my daughter here for a second. And she said to me once, mom, just ignore them. Just ignore them and move on. Well, that's and the only way I can explain that to people who aren't experiencing hot flashes is imagine you suddenly had a wave of nausea. It becomes your focus. It's really hard to ignore because suddenly you just, all you can think about is nausea. Well, when you have a hot flash, you're stuck in that moment. All you can think about is that my temperature has just gone to 105 and perspiration's popping out and it really becomes the focus of what you're doing. It's distracting. So like you said, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business person, I'm working all the time. You know it. Speaking is a hustle. You're always helping people round the clock. I have clients all over the world. And suddenly these hot flashes would hit. And I thought, you know what? Hot flashes are inconvenient. I need to do something about it. And I researched the products that were out there. They have these scarves, they're wet. They're sort of like a chamois you'd use for your car. That's really what they are, that you soak them and you wring them out. And then you put this semi-damp, they say not really damp feeling, it's wet around your neck for evaporative cooling. Uh, you can get these, these beaded bandanas, which are rather unattractive, that you can freeze. And then after you've frozen them for a couple hours, you can wear them. But again, you've got to remember two hours before that you're going to get a hot flash, you're going to freeze it. Um, and they're not attractive. So I thought, you know what? If I am on, uh, I, I do broadcast, right? I do live broadcast. I'm on video. 
you don't, you want to be able to solve the problem and move on. You can't ignore it. It's hard to ignore. Uh, so I came out with a beautiful solution and my solution is cool me scarf, cool me scarf. That's the name. It is a, an elegant scarf. It's understated. The color right now that I have is deep sea blue. It's uh, think of blue jeans, right? Blue jeans go with everything there. It's a deep, rich blue. The material is a wood fiber lyocell, so it's a highly moisture-wicking fiber. Even the, the scarf itself feels cool because it draws moisture away from your skin. And let me tell you, with hot flashes, you sweat like a pig, Margaret. And it has a cooling pack in it. This is a pack which has a, uh, a special a product in it, which is a conductor. It's a gel. And if you've studied our basic science, hot goes to cool. If you put a cool object against a warm object, it draws the heat out of the warm object. That's how cooling works. People think you're stuffing cooling. You're not stuffing cooling. You're taking heat out. And that's true with every product, whether you're using a, an ice pack or you know ice cube on your face, you're actually sucking heat out. And that's what this product does. So it's elegant. It's cool. That's great. So, so before I, you know, I want to get into some details on how you figured out manufacturing and the relationship with Alibaba and then obviously getting the Oscars. But uh, I have a very important question and that is that, um, you know, with your daughter's uh, skepticism, um, have you marked on your calendar the date 30 or 40 years from now? I don't know how she old, old she is, where she'll need this product and, and you'll, uh, <laughs> and you'll be able to say, I told you so. <laughs> oh my God, you're brilliant, Corey. I, the next thing I'm doing when we finish the podcast is I'm going to go mark my calendar. <laughs> oh my God. That's wonderful. I love A letter it. to my daughter, open at your first hot flash. <laughs> right, I told exactly. you so. And, and by the way, no, you can't have one of the products for free. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I'll save her one. Yeah, maybe you'll save you love her even if she does give you trouble, right? Yeah. Um, okay, great. So, all right. So, so now you have this idea for this great product, right? And it comes out of, I mean, I love it because it's a classic entrepreneurial story. It comes out of a need, right? That you've identified. You go to find a product on the market that solves that need. You don't find anything that's satisfactory, you know, for that need. Uh, and you say, you say, okay, uh, well, I guess I'm going to make it. So, so now, um, you know, you're making a physical product. Unlike, you know, your other business and what a lot of us do, which is services, you got to get something manufactured, right? So what do you figure out about that? And, and what is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the partnership with Alibaba? What, what, what does that do for you? Well, the, the manufacturing journey for anyone who's manufactured anything is, uh, it's tough in the U.S. And I know we all want to be patriots. We all want to manufacture in the U.S. But I had uh, one very nasty person and one very nice person explain to me why my product could not be manufactured in the U.S. And I'm sure this is an issue that many people have come across. Uh, my particular product, um, because it, it actually has to be made in a, in a laboratory, even though the product already exists, like the, the conducting material, it's a simple material, it's a common material, it's used all the time, it's safe. You know, if you ingest it, please don't eat the scarf. Uh, but if you did, it's safe. It's a simple, simple product. It's, it's, a, it's a classic conductor. They said, even though that's the case, because you're in the US, even though it's used by many other manufacturers for many other different purposes, we still have to study it from the ground up and it will cost you thousands of dollars to, to research the product just so we have the paperwork that shows that it's been researched. Doesn't matter that other people have done it. It uh, doesn't matter that it's used all over the place for other things, right? So he, he said, that's your first issue is it's going to cost you thousands of dollars in investment to prove something we already know. Um, but just so your name is on it. He said, the other thing is, and I didn't realize this about manufacturing, but I found it really interesting. In the US, 
the primary way things are manufactured is through automation. They, they find out how to make the product and then people build a machine to make the product. So your, your investment is the machine. Once the machine is made, then you can bang the product out. Um, a really good example of this is Poland Spring Water. Poland Spring hardly has any employees. They've automated the whole thing. But that, excuse me, that initial investment is huge. And as an entrepreneur, he said, unless you can drop half a million on a machine, at least, even for a simple product, he said, that's your barrier to entry. That's a huge barrier. Interesting. And so, so it's practically a huge barrier. As an entrepreneur, you don't have that kind of money to invest, especially in a product that you don't know. I mean, you, you know, you, you had a good thought that there's a market for it because you, you, you had a need, but you know, but you don't know how well it's going to do. Right. So make that kind of, make make that kind of investment. And then also the interesting part of that for me is, and I don't want to get into the whole, you know, too far out into the whole political thing about onshore, offshore, you know, but, but from what you said, basically what that means is that the theory that it creates American jobs is also not always true because basically you get a, you know, like the, your Poland spring example was a great example. I mean, maybe there were some jobs created in building that machine, but once it's built, the process is fully automated and not a lot of people are, uh, are being employed either. So, uh, interesting. You know, true. And I'm sure there are, there are many things that are really well done in the U S and there are definitely things that are manufactured in the U S and huge corporations who can dump tons of money in, can manufacture in the US, but you look at places like Apple. Apple does all their stuff abroad. They don't, it sounds so American, right? Apple, they don't manufacture in the US. It's prohibitive. Okay, so you figure out now that you can't do it in the US. Right. Uh, so you need to do it overseas. And now, how do you, you know, what's the next step in figuring out how, to, how do you do that? Right. Because what do I know about manufacturing overseas? That's just frightening, right? You, you don't speak the language, you don't know the customs. It's, it's daunting. Um, and in steps, I discover Alibaba.com. I had seen the website before. I thought, I think you had mentioned before, it's sort of like a Amazon for China. You know, that, that's the impression of it. And what I found out was it is that, but it's also much more than that. So Alibaba is a platform that allows manufacturers all over the world, uh, China, India, uh, South America, North America, if you are an American manufacturer, you can register with Alibaba. And then that allows people like me, entrepreneurs, companies, it allows them to find you. Because just to, to how do you find a manufacturer? I, I had no idea. And by going there, you, you start searching, you look by category. And I said, I need a conducting pack made like this. And lo and behold, you know, 30 manufacturers pop up. Wow. And, um, but now what do you do, right? So this, and Corey, I had no idea that this is how it worked. This is just mind-blowing technology to me. I email people all over the world to get quotes. You know, I can email China. I can email um, other countries where I don't necessarily speak the language. And I write in English. It automatically translates it and gives it to the buyer in their own language. Wow. They answer in their language. It automatically translates and comes back to me in English. Boom. Is that amazing? Love it. Love it. So you discover Alibaba, you find out, excuse me, it has its capabilities and you end up getting a manufacturing source through it, right? I did. I I found a wonderful fellow, Peter, uh, in China. It turned out, I I looked at different countries. China just happened to to be able to get this particular fabric 
that I was looking for. He happens to be in the uh, the fabric district, and uh, I was able to get the conductor packs that I needed all through Alibaba through easy transactions. Wow, that's that's amazing, and and I know you know before. You know, I've, I've had some clients, you know, who have products that they manufacture overseas. And frankly, up until recently, you know, they, 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 they were mostly people who were in, a, in an industry where they knew how to do that. Maybe they worked for somebody, you know, um, who did manufacturing overseas and they already had relationships or and or and even in that case, you know, they would physically fly to China or Vietnam or, you know, wherever it was. Right. And have to spend weeks or months, uh, you know, uh, visiting factories and vetting them and, and building relationships and trying to figure out who can get it. Now, obviously, uh, like many things, um, technology has shifted that. And what's interesting is, again, like Amazon, manufacturers are reviewed. So now you can go and you can look. And, and you're right. They do recommend you fly to the country. And I'm sure that if I was investing millions, I would do that. But I was able to look at other people's experiences with these manufacturers and get some really good feedback before, before I put any money into it. And I was also able to get samples. They're happy to send samples. That's part of the, uh, part of the request system is, you know, you can order a sample and they ship it to you. And that was very helpful. So in doing a deal with the manufacturer through Alibaba, how does it work in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, do they just... Uh is it almost like an RFP process? Do they give you quotes? Uh, do you negotiate back and forth? Uh, how does it work in terms of cutting the deal for what you need? So indeed, it was an RFP process. I, that, I had my own RFP. I had, I had created my own, which I sent to you know, multiple manufacturers. Um, they come back with their quotes. You're able to sort all through that. So indeed, I did go through that, that process. Just as I would with any other manufacturer, it just it just allowed me that communication. But certainly, the same process is working with anybody else. Okay, so now you you get the manufacturing done, and how how do you bring this product to to market initially? Um, well, initially, i I had a a business coach, right? I always I highly recommend business coaches. Like we were talking about earlier, I, I never want to be the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. and uh, I manage that because I'm always looking for people who know things that I don't know. So I had a business coach who had brought product to market herself. Uh, She brought a handbag line to market. So again, a woman's market. And she helped me through the process of building out my own website, which was the first thing I wanted to do. But then there's always that no like trust issue that people will buy from people they trust. Nobody knew who I was. I could be some, some crazy person, some shyster. So I also went to the Amazon platform and, um, and, and, and sell product there because people know, like, and trust Amazon. And even though people buy through Amazon and they think, again, it's a perception thing. They think they're buying from Amazon. Amazon, in fact, does not manufacture all these things. They are a conduit to allow businesses to sell to the large market. But that's really, that's really where I got my start with it. Right. And, and so, so let's uh, jump to, I, you know, I, I didn't know you were doing this. I, I hadn't heard it until... I saw something about the Oscars. So <laughs> tell us what happened there and how that came about. What a ride. I will talk about the Oscars until you just go, Lee, <laughs> you need to be quiet now. <laughs> so once again, I had surrounded myself with people who are smarter than I am. I was in a mastermind in Savannah, Georgia, highly recommended, love Savannah. And I was talking about blowing up my brand, just like you described. It's out there, but it's not big. It's not being recognized. How do I, and it's a, it's a little bit of a, it's a higher scale market. I'm not necessarily looking for 
you know, I'm not looking for people looking for a cheap solution. I'm looking for people looking for an elegant, beautiful solution to make them feel good about themselves and bring beauty to, to women. So what, so why don't we, why don't we take a second before we go to the sure. Oscar story? And uh, cause you mentioned sort of what the product is not. Uh, and, and we did a little promo video in which you went into this in a little more detail, but, uh, but on the podcast here, we haven't really, you know, so describe the product a little more. And in terms of the target market, you know, it's, it's, it's higher end. It's for business women. Right. So give us a little more about that. So they know what, what you're about to say and why it was good for the Oscars. Okay. Yeah. It, it's good to be able to imagine it. So my product is a fashion scarf. It is what feels like a satin scarf or satin or silk. It's actually made from Lyocell. Lyocell is a 100% wood fiber fabric made from sustainably harvested wood, uh, woods and forests. So it's uh, eco-friendly. But the wood fiber is a moisture. It's a highly moisture wicking fiber, much more so than even cotton. So very smooth, very silky. It looks like a fashion scarf. Uh, the color right now is what I call deep sea blue. It's a deep blue. And many people have said, why did you go with blue? And the answer is because blue jeans go with everything, right? If you throw on a pair of jeans, you can wear anything. The deep blue really goes with almost any other color. So it's a, it's a fashion scarf. It just looks like you can wear it like any other scarf, draped, knotted, like a shawl, any way you'd like to wear it. But in the back of the scarf is a discreet pocket that goes behind the neck. It's about uh, 16 inches long, so it drapes around your shoulder, sewn right in there in the same color fabric. And in that, I created a, a pack, it's a cooling pack made of a conducting gel. You slip the pack in there, you put it around your neck, and you within seconds have a cooling sensation because at room temperature, right? There's no preparation needed, no wetting, no freezing, no waiting, no ringing. At room temperature, out of the box, out of the bag, out of your desk drawer, you slip this into your scarf, you put it around your neck and you immediately get a cooling sensation. Um, and so, but it doesn't look like a cooling scarf. It's, it's attractive, it's elegant, it's discreet. You can wear it with anything. I wore it at the Oscars with a gown. And it, it, it looks beautiful, but it's useful. It's cooling. So it's really meant for a woman who is a professional, who cares about her appearance, who cares about what she looks like, her fashion. Uh, it's, you know, it's very practical, but it's, you can go the cheaper. You can buy a chamois that you wash your car with, wet it, wring it out. And if you're going to sit in front of the t TV and nobody's going to see you, why not? It's wet. Your shirt gets wet. Who cares? You're cool. This is meant for going out, being in public, looking nice, doing a broadcast. Uh, feeling good about yourself and feeling pretty. Or when you're, you know, at the Oscars in a gown, you know. If, uh, or at the Oscars. Yeah, you know, you're not going to wear a chamois, you know, at the Oscars <laughs> with a gown on, right? Um, you're not. <laughs> so, all right. So let's get to this Oscars story. How, did, all right. how, did, how does uh, somebody who's less than two years in with a new product, small entrepreneur, et cetera, end up, um, you know, with uh, at the Oscars wearing their scarf and a gown? <laughs> <laughs> Scarfing out. So like I said, I'm in a mastermind and there was a woman in the back of the room. I had no idea who she was. It turns out her name is Kelly Bennett and she is a publicist, publicist to the stars, right? She represents people like Stedman Graham and, you know, like that. And uh, she's watching me. She's looking at my product. She's listening to me. And she says, how would you like to go to the Oscars? I went, um, excuse me. <laughs> she said, I have one opportunity right now. I have the guy on the line. So she has Roger Neal. It's his 
And I'll explain how the Oscars work in a minute because I had no idea how the Oscars work. She goes, I can get them on the phone. You have five minutes to decide. You have six hours to get me all of your materials, right? The logos, the write-ups, all these things. Because this is a Saturday. You have six hours to get at me. And you have until Monday to have your product in the mail because it has to be to them. She goes, I need it in hand by Friday. Wow. No pressure there. (laughs) Oh, and you need two assistants to go with you uh, because you're going to have a table. I'm going with my product. It's not just the product. I get to go with it and, and demonstrate it. Uh, so you need, you need assistance, you need a table, you need everything done. And by the way, the Oscars are in one week. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so folks, this is what I love though, because you know, you all know where this story is going and this is, this is what the difference for me about entrepreneurs, right? Is that despite all of the challenges, constraints, you know, what, what may seem close to impossible, uh, you know, I know already, and we haven't talked about this, that, you know, even if there was any hesitation in the back of your mind, you were still like, yes, I'll do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what entrepreneurs do. <laughs> That's what, you know what, you're allowed to take risks when you're an entrepreneur. And I spent, oh my God, decades in corporate. If I went in corporate and said, Hey, we have this great product. We can get it to the Oscars next week. They would just go, and, and what's the next thing on our, on our topic for today? They wouldn't even entertain the idea. Oh, yeah. There's no way a corporation can move that fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, just to get through the layers of the approval processes and procurement and, you know, you name it, never happened. Never happened. But an entrepreneur, you can just jump. And sometimes you crash and sometimes <laughs> you land on your feet. All right. So this time you jumped, you landed on your feet. So tell us the story. How did it go? All right. So I got it done. I found, and this is crazy. So I need my logo. So I say, yes, right. Five minutes. I go, okay, let's do it. There's another woman in the room who I've met. uh, Yeah. A couple hours earlier. And she says, Lee, if you're going, I've got your back. I'm there with you. And I said, okay, here's the problem. I'm an entrepreneur. I can't pay for your flight. I can't pay for your hotel. I can't buy you a gown. Uh, So if you'd like to go, I will get you in. But yeah, thank you for your help. You're on your own. And she said, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> so yay. And then I found a second person, similar situation where I called and said, here's the situation. She said, that's right. I'm in another business person. So I found two fabulous people. I, I said, yes. And then they said they need my logo in a certain format and I can't reach the artist who created my logo. I have six hours to have it in their hands. So wow. again, what do you do? You leverage resources. I went to the, uh, the, uh, website upworks.com. Mm-hmm. I put an RFP out there. I get responses. Within one hour, I have found a graphic artist in Greece because it's nighttime, right? We're going toward nighttime now. It's past business hours. That's okay. I find somebody in Greece. I send a picture of my logo. I say, I need this recreated and I need it in this format. And you've got three more hours. He said, done. Got it done. Got it to me. I got it to them just under the wire. (laughs) Love it. Okay. And then? And then? Uh, yeah. So then a buyer's remorse. And again, for all you entrepreneurs out there, it's going to happen. Oh my goodness. So now I'm bleeding money, right? I had to have my logo redone. I have to set up flights, hotel. I need a dress. Do you know that one of the first questions people ask me was, who are you going to wear to the Oscars? <laughs> right. Who? I said, right. who am I going to wear? I hope I can find somebody really light because I don't know what I can carry. Um, who? So I had to find a gown that was Oscar suitable, which is not that easy. Um, I don't have time to go to a store, right? I've got to find something online. I had to find shoes. All you ladies out there, you understand, you can't just go in your sneakers. You need shoes that match the dress. And then, oh, here was a little one. 
I have to now ship by Monday 150 scarves, which, mind you, are donated to the Oscars. There's no finance coming in on this. They're donated. Right. They're, I mean, these are rich stars. You've got to give them free stuff, right? <laughs> um, the, the way my scarves were packaged, I had to repack every single scarf for gift bags. So each one had to be unboxed and repacked into a satin bag with a hang tag. So I had to order hang tags. Thank you, Vista. Com, got new tags, had them shipped right to California, got home because I'm on a business trip, right? I get home from Savannah Sunday night and I go to my office, which luckily is a, is a good amount of space. And I find my two teenage sons, bless them, repackaging scarves for me with their dad. They worked <laughs> for hours. It takes a village. It takes a village. So they repacked 150 scarves for me. It took something like 10 hours to do it with, for three people. Um, my husband, bless his soul, took a day off from work to get all the scarves shipped because again, shipping is easy. No, it's not. No, it's not. The conducting material in here, we had, a, it's, it's, it's weighty, right? It, it weighs uh, 16 right. ounces. That's super expensive. He took the whole day off from work to get things shipped for me. And that was my journey, right? Flights, hotel, rent-a-cars, getting other people coordinated, getting the agenda. Insane. I get it all done in six days. Um, very little sleep not a whole lot of food, maybe a drink, a glass of wine just <laughs> when really needed. And then I was on my, I was on my way, uh, on my way to the Oscars. So now your, your scarves are in every gift bag and you're, you're, you're actually at the Oscars wearing your scarf. So I'm at the Oscars, but let me, let me just explain how the Oscars works because I had no idea how this works. The Oscars is not one thing. It's many things. So what you see on TV is the award ceremony. Nobody gets into the award ceremony unless you are a nominee, a guest of the nominee, and they only get four tickets. I found this out. You're Brad Pitt, four tickets, baby. That's it. Right. So if you're a presenter, you get one more ticket, you get one guest, and then the other tickets all go to um, studios, right? Movie studios, and they give them to their people. And it actually is a, is a, there's like an auction process, lottery process, where you have to apply for a ticket, and they actually do a physical lottery to pull names, to get these few tickets. There are not many. I was not at the award ceremony, to be clear. Where I was and where all the gift bags are, are at the after parties and the viewing parties. There are many, many celebrities who cannot get into the Oscars. Most of them, right? Because there are a lot more than 3,400 celebrities in the world. And so unless you're, there are 200, 200 celebrities basically get in. Those are the nominees. Then again, like I said, the presenters. And if you know somebody or you're in the lottery, that's it. All the other celebrities go to viewing parties. All around the Dolby Theater are viewing parties. The Vanity Fair party, the Elton John party, the Roger Neal party. There are other ones. I was invited to a viewing party and gifting suite. Okay. There are also, hold yourself on this one, more than one red carpet. There are multiple media red carpets. There's the one that Brad Pitt walks down, which again is just for nominees. But then there are all these other red carpets that the other celebrities walk down. And being a sponsor, I was able to walk a red carpet, which was again, a mind blowing experience. I will tell a super quick story. Uh, I got to go to the premiere of one of Jane Fonda's films because uh, a friend of uh, my wife's was uh, very close with her, and we uh, and there was a red carpet for the opening of her, you know, film in, in Manhattan, and we 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 walked down with um, 
you know, with, with our, uh, I won't say who it was, but with a, with a you know, a well-known person. And uh, I, I apparently made a major faux pas because I stopped when she stopped to speak to a reporter. I sort of, you know, we sort of stopped with her, but we were got yelled at by all the photographers because we were blocking their picture view. And they were like, we don't know. Get out of there. You're blocking the view. So <laughs> that was my red carpet experience. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a funny experience, right? You think, again, you see it on TV and you see just super close up snippets of somebody on the red carpet. You don't realize there are thousands of people surrounding them. Right or hundreds of people and it, it's super tight quarters. I, I get, was this your experience too, where there was a media outlet every two feet, they actually marked the carpet every two feet, every two feet. Exactly. And then, you know, who they stopped for, whatever. And like that, and, they, and it's not like one celebrity's walking down and they wait for them to get from the beginning to the end. Nope. Right. You know, it's like, it's like a procession, you know? <laughs> so, yep. and then yeah. it bounced around and back and forward and, and, and yeah. And you have a public eye to publicist with me who's grabbing me going, Lee, stand here. You're interviewing next. You're next. Okay. And um, I walked the red carpet with the Pointer Sisters, which was really fun. I love the Pointer Sisters, Anita and Bonnie. They were just great. I saw those photos. That was amazing. All right. So, so, so let's, um, I want to sort of jump a little bit uh, because uh, we do have, uh, it is not a three hour podcast, um, <laughs> and, 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 but I, I'm so tempted to have it be one in this case, because I'm sure that's great stories. But let me let me ask a question, and obviously you can build in any of the you know the fun stuff uh, in the answer to this. So when we were talking earlier about speakers and the concept of never speak for free, or or really what you said, and like and the way I like to say it is never never speak without getting value, right? Because it's right. not only cash. Um, well, so now you know. Let's draw a parallel here, right? So you know, for me, the difference between uh, having this just be a giveaway for you and having it be what I would consider a deal is the way you're going to leverage you did and are going to and are and are in the process of leveraging this uh to get yourself value right because uh you know if if you don't leverage it in a certain way uh then it could be 150 scarfs and the cost of a gallon and flights and whatever that you donated and great right what does it do for you so talk about the ways that you were able to either while you were there or subsequent uh, to leverage this and for me that's what it has has it become a deal because now you've given value and you're getting value similar to what we talked about with speakers. Yeah. Your point is so, so well taken. Um, I was warned against doing a, a, a gifting suite, having a gifting table. I was warned against the bags. They said, you know, you don't get anything out of it and it, it's a waste of your time and money. I absolutely disagree because like you said, the, if you just go there and just give stuff away, it's just like speaking. If you're on the stage, you just give it away that's a bad thing. But if you do look at it as a deal and you do leverage it, then it's absolutely worth it. So I have leveraged the bejeebers out of this and different things is first of all, the gifting suite I was in, I met delightful celebrities who wore my product and commented on the product. So that's, that's great that they were, they were willing to do that. Um, many times find out if you're going to do a gifting suite, if you're, because you could, this is not just the Oscars, right? You can do the Golden Globes, the Grammys, whatever. They, they all have the same type setup. Right. Make sure you know what you are getting because there are some where the celebrities will not touch your product. They will not be photographed with your product. So make sure you're getting that, right? Celebrity connection is huge. So I got that and they were wonderful. And I have multiple celebrities who love the product. The next thing is you've, got to do something with this. So the very first thing I did when I found I was going, um, other than just going into, you know, frantic mode of getting everything done 
was to leverage it immediately. I immediately called a PR firm who I'd worked with before for another company. And I said to them, this is what's happening. How can I leverage this for your company? How can I make this work for you? Uh, and they got back to me in five minutes and said, let's work together. Let's blow this up. You know, So I'm representing their company. With my Oscars story, they got me um, immediately a, a write-up on their own site. They got me an interview with ForbesOnline.com. So my, I've already been in Forbes. I have some local TV stations who have reached out. And again, this is just leveraging it. It doesn't happen. It doesn't come to you. Deals don't come to you. You need to work them. And I have been working this to the best of my ability. It's a story that's right. A hometown mom goes to Hollywood with a product that helps that empowers women. There's a story there. So you have to figure out what is your story and leverage that. And that's what I'm doing. I love it. And, you know, and it's so interesting to me that, that, that the parallels to the speaker conversation, because, you know, you, you, you know, the first thing you said about speakers is that they need to, you know, have, right, have a good story, have good content, you know, be on stage that's unique, et cetera. And, um, and I think that's what, you know, what I love about this story, I mean, I love the story in general, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and it's a great entrepreneurial story. Um, but one of the things about, you know, specifically for this podcast is that, uh, you know, one of the premises of the podcast is that deals aren't just big mergers and acquisitions or financing deals, that there are all kinds of deals that you can do, whatever size company that, that you're at, and that, you know, it's, it's about, you know, being creative. You don't necessarily need capital, and it's the way you leverage it. And I want to sort of redefine what, what people think about as deals and, um, you know, whether it's, I mean, even the way I use this podcast or the, you know, the way I, you know, I wrote a book, a lot of people, uh, you know, have a, have a book and, and they sell, you know, whatever, uh, 50 copies and, and they don't know how to leverage it. And right. the difference between creating a product or giving something away or whatever it is in whatever context and really leveraging it is, is turning it into a deal where you get value. And that's what you're talking about doing. So, um, so, uh, have, uh, have, have sales, uh, I assume sales have, have picked up significantly and, uh, and you continue to leverage it, uh, to get this great product out there for, for the marketplace. Right. Well, again, the wonderful thing is, is that because I'm now leveraging a story and the brand and getting it out there, I've been approached by buyers and that's really, here Fantastic. you go, leveraging again. Right. So it's not, at this point, it's less important to me about selling the one scarf on Amazon than it is getting the buyer in who's going to get it out in a retail environment. So there are, um, I've been approached by a buyer for three large box stores. And that, you know, again, that's where my leverage is. That's where my deal is, is, is getting out there. I, I mean, I can run around like a, a crazy person trying to get people to my website, but I will never have the volume that I do working with these buyers and the buyers are approaching me at this point. So that's where the leverage is, is they said, we saw you, you know, online, we saw you on LinkedIn. We saw the Oscars story. Would you talk to us about us representing your product for big box stores? That is such a great lesson because, you know, people, and listen, there's nothing wrong with hustle. There's nothing wrong, wrong with trying to make, you know, one sale, two sale, three sales or whatever you're doing. Um, but you know, the conversation of leverage and parlaying one thing into the next and also setting yourself up. I mean, I, I had uh, my wife on, uh, on, on one episode uh, several weeks ago and, it, you know, she had a book came, uh, that came out um, recently. And, you know, she had in a world where people are dying to get book agents and trying to figure out and get a major book deal, which is, you know, very near impossible these days, especially with any kind of advance. She had publishers coming to her. 
and and the difference in leverage. And you know, there's a whole. I won't get into it. You know, you can listen to that episode if you want to hear how she did that. But the difference when somebody's approaching you, whether it's a you know a a, a, a publisher, uh, you know a, a manufacturing company, distribution, you know, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's a whole different game, right? You know, they they get pitched a million times, but now you have people coming to you, and that's all because you knew how to leverage this opportunity, uh, uh, you know, as as a deal, as opposed to just uh, you know just having it be giving away some scarves. Right. And it could have been that, right? And I think that's what many people do with these gifting suites is they go, oh, it's a cool party. You get to meet cool people. And no, it's it's about, like you said, it's leveraging the deal. It's it's an opportunity. It's a springing off point to make things happen. Well, that's great, Lee. So if people want to find out more about uh, the, the product, about you, about you know uh, anything you're up to, what's the best place for them to, to go? Best place is coolmescarf.com. So cool, like make me cool, coolmescarf.com. Easy enough. Easy enough. Well, I know some people I'm going to, I'm going to buy uh, some of these for, uh, because I am, uh, although I, as a man, I don't experience hot flashes. I am actually hot all the time. So I, I might even use this thing, but, but I certainly know some women who are, uh, at that, uh, you know, premenopausal and menopausal stage where trust me, I am, uh, very familiar with the the issue of hot flashes. Uh, we know open. the issue, and and just I mean, in general, just so you know, I've had doctors actually brought this up. I didn't realize it for people who are going through chemotherapy, um, and one in five people in the U.S. will get cancer. Ugh! If you're going through chemotherapy, occasionally, I guess it's a thing that it impacts your ability to may, uh, to regulate your body temperature. And this is a very neutral scarf. In fact, it is fine if you are a man with chemotherapy and you you know in treatment want something cool around your neck. It's a lovely gift. Wow, that's amazing. All right, so my final question I always ask on the podcast is, uh, you know, one of my highest values is authenticity. And for me, that means uh, basically alignment with your inner truth, not about external ethics and that kind of stuff. Uh, what does authenticity mean to you and how does it impact uh, what you do in, in business and in life? Well, for me, I mean, I feel I'm a, a fairly authentic person. Authentic to me, meaning that I believe what I do. I love what I do. Um, I don't fake what I do. You know what I mean? I, I love, for me, the, the greatest thing I can do is watch other people succeed. I get the biggest charge out of that. There's nothing more joyful for me than giving somebody a gift that makes them happy. Um, and so with doing things like working with speakers, with creating a scarf, I get a huge charge out of watching other people benefit from that. That's my biggest payment. It really is. And I think that that's for me where authenticity comes from is doing what you truly believe and truly love. And I love impacting other people. I love watching something like a speaker on stage, right? And they get a standing ovation and I go, that's a little bit me because I put them there and I love that that happened for them. Mm. And if they're, if, they're, if they're on stage uh, wearing your scarf uh, and nobody knows. That's even better. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> I love it. Lee, thank you so much for being uh, on the show and sharing this amazing entrepreneurial journey. Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a great time. And thank you, Fooling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. 
Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at FuelingDeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.